Hello and welcome to the Evolution of Business podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Brady, and I'm excited to be here today with Bob Duffy. And Bob is someone who in Rochester and probably even in New York State needs no introduction, but we do have listeners outside of New York and even 10 countries. So uh, for those that don't know, Bob was the Rochester chief of police, uh, later the mayor of Rochester, uh, was the lieutenant governor of the state of New York. And then since January 1st of 2015, uh, he's now the president and CEO of the Greater Rochester Chamber of Commerce. So Bob, thanks so much for joining us today. Andrew, great to be here, and I've had a very hard time holding down a job, so thank you for the introduction. <laughs> yeah, actually, I wanted to start there a little bit because you, you've really had some uh, several different careers. Um, you you were, for a, a couple dozen years anyways, you were, you were in the, the police force mm-hmm. before becoming police chief. At what point did you decide that you really wanted to, to jump into uh, – Politics was was that something that you always had in the back of your mind as an interest? I, I love my first career and it spent like twenty eight and a half years. Uh, love the department, people I was able to serve. Love the community. Spent a lot of time here. Uh, I never liked politics. I never had any inclination to go into politics. And I was called to a dinner of a rather prominent real estate person. I don't want to mention his name and out him here uh, <laughs> in the middle of the week. And I thought it was a regular social dinner. And I was there and there were probably about uh, eight or 10 couples around the table. My wife came and one by one, halfway through dinner, each one went around and asked me to run for mayor. And true story, I initially said no. I said I appreciated their, uh, their thoughts on this but it was not something I ever had any inclination to do. And uh, talk a little bit more. I said, well, here's what I'll do. I'll withhold decision out of respect for you. I'm pretty sure it's going to be a definite no, but I'll get some time and I'll get back to you and I'll talk to you. So true story, we walked to the car over off Park Avenue and uh, my wife, who never says a bad word uh, ever, uh, said three words that night. Uh, the first one was no. The last one was way. I'll let you use your imagination <laughs> to figure the middle word. Um, but it started a process that I began to think about it. I, I spoke to former Mayor Bill Johnson, who I served under at that time. And uh, if Bill had said, don't do it, I probably would never have done it. Uh, but he said, Bob, I wouldn't say no. I can't tell you what to do, but I would give it some thought. So that started the process. Uh, I retired, I believe it was April 1st of 2005. You, you can't run for office and be a police chief. Uh, the, it was on a Friday, the, I think the next day I started a, uh, my campaign and for, throughout the rest of the year, I was out the door, uh, every day, probably by eight o'clock in the morning, home about eight or nine o'clock at night. And while, uh, opponents in the, in the campaign was primary, uh, opponents who I knew and liked at this day, uh, two or three are still friends of mine. Um, I walked the streets of this city, every neighborhood. I walked Park Avenue, Jefferson Avenue, Parcells Avenue, Lake Avenue. I grew up not too far from where we sit today, the northwest part of the city off Driving Park. Uh, walked my old neighborhood, knocked on doors, talked to people, asked them for their priorities. And uh, it really was a, a tremendous experience. Uh, I'll f- fast forward the night of the primary. I uh, was sitting in a friend's house, the same friend, uh, Mark Sewick, who hosted the first meeting. And we're upstairs this house. And, uh, you know, after all these months of really campaigning, 102 debates, forums, neighborhood meetings. Oh, my Never goodness. missed one. And our, my opponents, pretty much same thing. Uh, it was a very intense campaign. There were no incumbents. And in either primary results, I'm sitting in Mark's house with a few friends upstairs. My wife was downstairs. A lot of people were there. And the results came in, uh, and little by little. And it was, uh, you know, I was way behind, uh, 9.30, 10 o'clock, 10.15. And I, at some point, I resigned myself to, you know, I worked hard, did all I could, and uh, was not successful. 
I get a call from a former assemblywoman who was at election headquarters a few minutes later. And uh, she said, are you sitting down? And I, I am. How do you feel? I'm not great, but you know, I, I did the best I could. Well, you won. And I think I screamed, <laughs> what? And I, I could not believe it. And she's, I said, there's no way. She said, no, I'm at election headquarters. Watch the results change. So the next few minutes, it, you know, it changed. And it started a process. Uh, you know, the primary was the main campaign at that time in 05. Um, I had great opponents, but I, I started a process uh, when, when I was elected a few months later. Uh, it was one of the most extraordinary experiences of my life. Uh, I worked and assembled a great team. I did not pick people who were involved in politics. did not pick just people who were supporters. I tried to find people who were better, smarter, more experienced uh, than I could help me. And I'm very, very proud of that team. And uh, I, I know every day I, I walked into that building and, and every minute in that job, I absolutely loved it. Yeah, the, the the reluctant mayor, but it sounds like you really hit your stride once you once you got in office and enjoyed it. It's you know it, it's an extraordinary experience, and it, this is a great city. We have great people in the city, and I've often said some of the greatest people I've ever met in my career are in the poorest neighborhoods of Rochester. That just are people of great integrity. Give they would give their last dollar for somebody. Just you know, just incredible people. It was a, both an honor and a privilege to serve. I did not like the politics as much, although you deal with it. Politics is a vehicle to get things done. I love the public service, and I love the the service to the community. I, you know, I I would be going to Wegmans, and my wife would go crazy because I'd stop in Wegmans and East Avenue, pick up some groceries. Two and a half hours later, I'm back in my car because uh, I'm being stopped in aisles. I used to carry three by five cards with me and a pen. I'd write things down. Uh, it might be a, you know, a street light out or a stop sign down or some problem. And I would go out and email my commissioners or call them. And they were so responsive and great. And we, I think that's the job is not one. It's not a uh, symbolic job. I mean, uh, it's a job where you are actually, you are working, you're serving people. And the most important things are education, public safety, economic development and jobs. And it's clearing the snow, it's cleaning the streets, it's making and really making sure the city is beautiful and clean. And, you know, there's just a lot of great things. And I, I love this community. And, and uh, again, as I look back, I'm very, very lucky. Each career I've had, I've been very, very fortunate. But everybody asks me, which is your favorite one? I don't have a favorite. Every one I've had, I've loved. Well, for somebody who didn't like politics, it was an interesting next step to go to go to Albany as lieutenant governor then. Tell us a little bit about that, that uh, stepping stone. Well, I uh, met Governor Cuomo... Even before he was attorney general, uh, I had known a governor, not like best friends or good friends, but I've known him. I had great respect for his father, always respected him, and uh, certainly endorsed him when he ran for attorney general. Uh, but uh, when he was getting ready to run for governor, I knew he was going to run. Um, I was contacted one day and asked, and it's a true story, he asked me to run with him. Uh, I said, no, uh, I said that, uh, you know, went through like maybe five or 10 minutes of why I thought I would not be the best person for him. I, mean, I was in my second term. Um, I felt politically, you know, a police chief from upstate, probably not the best candidate uh, for the mayor to run, and especially in, in uh, challenging political times. Um, he listened to me very carefully for about 10 minutes. And then probably the next 25 minutes, he went through his reasons and his rationale. And I, I always call it Quimonian pressure <laughs> uh, because at the end, I said, yes, uh, and he said, who do you have to tell? And I said, I have to tell one person, my wife. Uh, so I did tell my wife, and uh, she was not happy with that decision at that time. She felt, you know, uh, I was leaving. And I would be very honest, 
Um, I could talk about the, my role with the governor in a minute, but one of the toughest things for me to do was to decide to run for lieutenant governor with the governor and, and ultimately step away from my job as mayor. I felt like I, I was leaving and I did not want to leave. I don't quit anything. And it was a very, very difficult, very emotional decision. I felt like I assembled this team. Uh, we're in our second term and I left and it caused a little chaos, confusion with uh, special elections afterwards. But when that happened, when I was elected with the governor and, and campaigned with him for several months, uh, I learned so much from him. Uh, he is brilliant in many ways. Uh, I think sometimes the public characterizations of the governor and perceptions are far different than the real governor. I've gone camping with him. I've spent a lot of time with him. I've listened. I've learned. Uh, he listens. Uh, he is a very, very hard worker. Uh, he listens. And if he agrees with you, he will tell you. If he doesn't, he will tell you. But you know, kind of a funny story. After the election, I, I'm not sure who was interviewing me. It was I think one of the New York City reporters and, and one of the political blog reporters and said, with all the history of lieutenant governors and governors in the state where they blow up from time to time and have these fractures and relationships, how are you going to deal with this if it happens with you and the governor? I said, that's easy. The way I was raised, uh, if the governor and I ever disagree, two of us will know. And when the door opens, nobody will know. <laughs> uh, so he kind of blasted me in the article uh, as weak and going to be just a, you know, a, a puppet. Uh, I think the governor felt otherwise. And, and I have always felt a sense of loyalty to him. And, uh, you know, we've had a number of private discussions. I think the governor would always want, want to hear your opinion. But my sense is, like in any organization, if he wanted to make a decision or he made one, uh, he would articulate what he wanted to do. Uh, if I had uh, input, I surely could offer it. When he made a decision, we followed it. And uh, that was an extraordinary experience. I met such great people around the state for four years, traveled uh, sometimes six, seven, eight hours a day in a car. Um, I didn't fly very much. I could, but we drove. We had a great team, but we were on the ground. And I, I saw that job not as a political stepping stone, but as you being the eyes and ears for the governor, going out. Uh, we did a lot of time listening. I did very little press. Uh, if you want me to press, I, I would do press, uh, you know, conferences and, and comments, what have you. But a lot of it was going out, listening, talking to people, and then coming back to him. And he was so responsive uh, for things. Uh, one quick highlight: I presided over the vote on marriage equality. Mm, uh, and I one of the watching that live. One of the interesting things: I was at the gavel. Uh, I could write a book about that <laughs> night, but. Uh, it, if you go back to marriage equality, I would say to anybody listening, you know, whether you agree or not, and I I fully support marriage equality. It's something that is, is uh, important as a civil right as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but the way the governor got support for that, where other leaders could not, was extraordinary. He knitted a coalition together quietly behind the scenes for months and months and months. It culminated in four Republican senators crossing over to vote. Um, I thought they showed a lot of integrity. Uh, I can't speak for all the motives, but I know, too, it was pure belief, and this is the right thing to do no matter what. And uh, each one of those senators did not last the next election. But I thought that was true public wow. service. They stood up for what they believed in or felt was right. They may have paid a price, but I think that uh, they, they won tremendous support for, for doing what is right in politics in a world today where people don't stand up for their beliefs. They tend to just go along with what gets them reelected. Uh, but again, uh, if I look at those careers and a time with the governor, an extraordinary learning opportunity, relationship building across the state uh, that I would never have had had I not spent time with him. Wonderful. Well, uh, I'm sure we could do the whole podcast on, on, all of, uh, on all of your experience there and maybe hopefully you write a book one day about it. But uh, in, in terms of now... Uh, we're, we're coming up 
January 1st of 2015 is when you started at the chamber. What was it that brought you back to Rochester and, and, and maybe what opportunities were you seeing uh, in terms of, of leading the chamber? Yeah, That's a great question. Um, there's no doubt I could have run a second term with the governor. Uh, I let the governor know uh, probably halfway through that I'd probably be just doing one term. I have a wife. I'm married really 34 years this year. Uh, she is a saint. I did not want to keep you know, uh, being on a road all the time. She was very patient. She was great. And she never made a big issue. But I thought, you know, life is short. I didn't want to be in a road someday. My parents, uh, my mother passed away when I was a mayor. My father, when I was lieutenant governor. Um, but, you know, I did not want to be in Poughkeepsie. My father dies uh, at night. And unfortunately, I was home when he passed away. So I was, I was with him that night. Mm. Um, but, you know, it was more about family. And uh, I never wanted a, a political career. It was not a stepping stone. You know, I did it because the governor asked me to do it and join him. And it was an honor and a privilege to serve him. But I wanted to come home. Uh, I love the Finger Lakes. I love Rochester. I had uh, some other opportunities. I had one uh, popping up downstate that somebody was urging me to, to go after. I had a couple of opportunities up here. But this, you know, was then the RBA, the uh, right. Rochester Business Alliance. Now it's a chamber. Um, it really was an opportunity to do things I love doing and working with people and business in the community and uh, being home. Uh, not every night, maybe for dinner, but home a lot of nights. So it really allowed me to come back and, and be here and do what I want and, and get involved with things that I have a passion for. So it was a great fit. And uh, the last four years have flown by. I really owe it to Sandy Parker, who was the former CEO, and the board, uh, the exec committee that made the selection. It was a competition for the job. And competition, as always, is certainly stiff and, and honorable. And I was lucky to get it, but I've loved it. And the uh, last four years have absolutely flown by. Well, yeah, lucky, lucky, maybe lucky to get it, but we're certainly lucky to have you in, in this role. And in, in one of the things, in addition to kind of that rebranding, because it was the, the Rochester Business Alliance and, and the rebranding now into the into the Rochester Chamber. Um, but in addition to that rebranding, there's really been a, an evolution of the of the services that you provide in the, the events that you're holding. Uh, you, you've said that what succeeded for us and our members in prior decades will not sustain us moving forward. Uh, it's incumbent upon us to remain nimble and innovative to support our businesses based upon uh, their changing needs. So I'm curious, in your first couple of years and maybe trying to do a you know listening tour as you come back to Rochester and figuring out what, what kind of needs, what were some of the, the big themes that you were hearing from business leaders in terms of how to be nimble? And then what, what maybe were some of the, the key initiatives that you wanted to, to bring to the chamber? Yeah, that's a great question. I would be asked quite a bit, you know, what does the RBA or chamber stand for? And, you know, there's usually some pad answers you'd get, but you had to really uh, dig down and, and understand what do businesses need? What does the community need? And so, you know, a lot of the changes uh, have been evolutionary, some a little revolutionary over the last <laughs> few years. Um, some were personnel. I don't think we had the healthiest culture. And so trying to impact that. And I always believe in giving people an opportunity. Uh, but sometimes, no matter what, that you, know, you need to plug in talent in key areas. So I'm very proud of, of the talent that over the last four years I brought. Um, and it's a combination. I think I brought some young, passionate, energetic talent with a perspective, some next generation leaders coming in uh, who have added so much to the organization. I've had uh, some great existing talent uh, that's there that I think have blossomed uh, with some of the changes. And the, the, the organizational culture has changed. Is it perfect? Nothing is ever perfect. But we've, we've made great gains. And it's hard to imagine today as to how it was four years ago. 
And it was nobody's fault. I think it just evolved over time. Uh, the RBA and then the IMC, Industrial Management Council, merged back in, I think, 2005. That was a difficult culture uh, clash back then. But I think we've worked on you know, changing the organizational culture, understanding what can we do for businesses. We've changed a lot, our services, our events. We don't go out and just give a staccato uh, view of what we do. We ask people, what do you need? We try and tailor those. Uh, our advocacy has been very, very strong. Uh, Mark Cohen and our team, uh, watched him uh, work in Albany uh, as a SUNY trustee when I was there. Uh, he has added a, a great degree of life and vitality to our advocacy, uh, both here and in Albany. Um, Shannon Ely, uh, who was sitting in a corner in a reference checking business when I first arrived. I soon realized she was a, a Syracuse a Newhouse School grad, has blossomed. She is our marketing director. Uh, Adrian Hale, uh, you know, a classic success story from the city in Rochester here, and I, uh, MCC and Yale grad, interned with us. He joined our team uh, and has been a great addition. It goes on and on, along with a number of people who have been there for, for years. So we're looking to the future. We're trying to build. And you know, nowadays, uh, business is changing. Chambers are changing. Country clubs, associations, uh, we have to follow the Amazon model and stay ahead of the curve, anticipate changes. Be nimble, um, you know, be bold, uh, try and test things. And and I look at all areas of what we've done. Uh, Susan George leads our events. She's done an extraordinary job changing what we had before. Uh, we have our, our big signature events, Top 100 and Athena. They'll they'll stay pretty, although they've grown exponentially, but a lot of other things that are just great. And one example coming up is a, a can of business event, which uh, we're putting together. We're doing it not because the chamber's taken a strong position one way or another. I've learned one thing. I don't have my personal opinion as much. I represent 1,300 members. Sure. I have a very strong opinion on things, but uh, we are trying to prepare for the future. And I think we're the first organization here to host an event that looks at all aspects of legalization of cannabis, the opportunities, the impacts, challenges. And uh, I believe that uh, the dialogue through this event is going to have an impact and help shape state policy because it's not so much if it'll be legalized. I think it's a matter of when. It's going to happen probably in 2019, maybe 2020 at the latest, but I do believe it will happen. If we wait, uh, we're going to lose because there are, aside from the, the social impacts that may happen and things that people will bring up, uh, there are great business economic opportunities to go with that as well. And so how do we prepare for that and how do we maximize those opportunities for jobs and economic growth here? Great. Yeah. And, well, and, and I think just that's a great example with that that cannabis business and and some of the other speakers that you've brought in. And just in terms of how to uh, put these these folks and these thought leaders in front of our our Rochester business leaders to really hopefully help them expand. You know, a, a lot of them have been promoting you know what whether or not they use the words conscious capitalism, but a, but a more conscious you know culture focused, purpose driven way of doing business. And there's a couple things. One being that I really appreciate the way that you have tried to lead by example in terms of transforming your own internal culture. Because if you're going to, you know, expect that of your of your members to invest more in culture, certainly want to want to lead by example. But then some of the speakers that you've brought in uh, from former Congressman uh, Bob Inglis, who talked about you know a free enterprise solution to climate change, or Stan Litow, who was talking about an expanded role for business and society, and we we're lucky enough to have him on on a past uh, podcast episode. He was talking a little bit about how can we go beyond just checking a box of, you know, corporate social responsibility or giving back, 
but instead, how can we identify some critical societal issue and and connect to actual impact and results and as a business community, uh, make really a, a substantive change? So what do you see for, you know, either the role of the chamber or just advocacy in general to try to get your members uh, more involved? How do you see business? Because we certainly have a lot of great things going on in Rochester, but, you know, uh, there's there's challenges as well, probably poverty in the, in the education system being chief among them. How do you see uh, business playing a role in, in some of that more inclusive prosperity for Rochester? Great question. I want to return a compliment because I want to credit you and your father for doing an extraordinary job uh, reinforcing the concept of conscious capitalism for years. And I, I remember having being at meetings and having you talk about that. I think uh, you were leading this charge before it became a little more fashionable and common. I think you deserve great credit for some of the changes there. Appreciate it. Um, and it, you mentioned like Stan Littow. Uh, Stan received an award uh, last year at the Business Council uh, annual board meeting. And he gave the shortest speech of the awardees, but it just struck me. He talked for maybe two minutes on how good business is. And, you know, the George Eastmans and others and all the things that, you know, pensions and healthcare and all the things that business did create where nowadays sometimes there it's in vogue to say how bad business is. And, and I'm not saying every business is good. There's certainly a lot of mistakes that get made. But a lot of CEOs, a lot of corporations and companies do great things for their people. They really do, and I think we have to expand upon that. Uh, what I've seen with the chamber and, and a focus that we have, and I, I really credit our team for being actively involved, the whole issue of corporate social responsibility. We want to you know, certainly make profits and be successful in business, but also to give back and do good things. So we can't be successful if we have the high levels of poverty here. If we have unemployment, we have a lot of issues. Education system is failing and has failed for decades. But we have to find ways to help. And we can't just point blame. We look for how do we you know, get in, advocate, but also take some action steps to connect people to jobs and opportunities to, to help them. I mean, one of our goals through uh, this whole regional economic development plan we're in the midst of right now is elevating regional wealth. Uh, we have not done that. Uh, wealth has not grown. And we have to look at that. You know, the GDP growth has, has been stagnant for years. And uh, our efforts with poverty, I would say I, I'm, we're involved with, uh, you know, the anti-poverty effort here, our MAPI. But I would tell you from being at meetings, so much time has been spent on discussing the issue and uh, discussing philosophical issues surrounding it. Not nearly as much time spent on matching person A with a job or helping them. And we have to take much more tangible steps. And, and the last thing I would say is that with some of the political talk nowadays, People that you know espouse socialism, I would say, where does socialism work? You look around the world and it, it hasn't. And I have a friend of mine who actually is from Russia and, and she has told my wife and I that it was a failure there. She immigrated to this country many, many years ago with her husband who works as a psychiatrist at the state. Um, it doesn't work. But conscious capitalism does work. Uh, free enterprise system, and, and I think you want to encourage business to grow, but as you grow, you give back. So I think that is the way to go, and we're looking for any way that we can help. I mean, the issue of climate change, uh, I'm not a scientist, but I can certainly I can understand whether they're in my life and how things have changed. We have a responsibility for that. Sustainability is, is good business. Uh, and I think our young professionals nowadays are so much more in tune uh, than our older counterparts. So our young leaders are really teaching us along the ways. And uh, one of the philosophies I've had recently is we have a, some new board members coming up. And 
It's interesting. Uh, the more veteran board members and executive committee members and CEOs, you know, it's, it's not their job to, or maybe it's not appropriate to have them mentor the younger ones. I think the opposite is true. I think some of our younger CEOs should mentor the older CEOs because uh, I have heard and I, I listen to all these dialogues about, you know, today's, uh, you know, leadership and young leaders coming up. I will tell you, Andrew, I am so impressed with the the talent, the passion that people have, the work ethic. Uh, I tell you what, uh, I would fill my entire team with young professionals. Uh, it, they're a pleasure to work with. They care about what they do. They want to be part of organizations that do good things. So any corporation that's all about profits and nothing else will not attract the kind of talent you want. So you, to be successful, you need to have that philosophy inculcated. And again, I go back to you and your dad, the work that you have done over the years. I, I see is really taking great great shape here in Rochester today. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, we're we're really excited. We feel like it's been a it's been a long time coming of, you know, planting some seeds, but we really do feel like we're we're at a tipping point. And that's really part of the the conference that we're putting together is how can we position Rochester as as a hub for for conscious capitalism. But I, I'm curious because you as you mentioned have a a broad spectrum of of stakeholders that are that are chamber members and and I'm wondering if uh, you know, between as you mentioned, some of the evolutionary and some of the revolutionary changes that you've been, that you've been working on at the chamber. Um, do you get any pushback from from some of some of your members in terms of that more more conscious approach to business, or you know, some as you mentioned, bringing in someone like Stan or bringing it talking about climate change or or any of those sorts of things? Do you, do you find any pushback from from members? I, I find every now and then people will say, "Well, you know, you're just a Democrat or whatever." You know, I, my political beliefs and feelings are, they don't come into the workplace so much as, you know, I don't care what party anybody's from. When I was in office, I didn't care if you're a Democrat, Republican, if you care about our city, our state, our community, I will work with anybody. Uh, but I do think people take political positions because they may believe one thing. And I'll, I'll say there's probably a lot of people out there that fully understand could be climate issues, conscious capitalism, you name any issue coming up today, sustainability, the environment, um, different levels of business practices, they may fully embrace it, but maybe their constituency is they're worried about getting reelected. And there's a lot of people in office that spend more time trying to poll and see where people stand as opposed to being true leaders, standing by their beliefs and leading by example. And, and I do think we need much more of that today. I don't get a lot of pushback. I, I don't on things. Every now and then I might get a comment here and there, but I work for a great board. Rob Sands is our board chair. My exec committee and board are great. I've, I've been very lucky. I mean, I'm, I, I'm really given great autonomy to, to make decisions and run things. I think there's a lot of trust that goes back and forth. I think financially we're very strong, and I think that you know we're doing our best to serve and, and reach out to people and help. And uh, I, I think getting membership and getting people involved in a chamber is challenging. Like any organization, people are busy. But I believe that we have to keep getting better at giving back and doing good things because people, again, they want to be on that type of team. So I think we're on the right path. Uh, I'm never satisfied as to where we are. And I don't think we ever could be satisfied. But as we keep going down this journey, I think we're getting better and better every year. Great. Well, one of the things that I was doing as we were, as I was kind of researching for for this interview, was reading back. I, I always enjoy your your columns in the Rochester Business Journal and, and going back to a few of them. And some of the th- consistent themes, um, one anyways, is around kind of our, our regional pride uh, and, and more of a of a unified message. Uh, and, and you actually mentioned making a trip to Columbus, uh, where where they they were 
in a in a pretty positive way, finding ways to to collaborate across different economic development organizations and chambers and, and different things. Um, so, can you tell us a little bit about what you learned from either Columbus or, or elsewhere, and and what maybe we could bring back to Rochester to present more of that unified message? That's a great question. Again, um, I tend to be pretty. Uh, honest about my views on things. And sometimes I'll have uh, colleagues say, well, it'd be more positive. I'm very positive. I'm super positive. But I think we have to admit in all honesty, we are a community in a region that for so long has been siloed, siloed politically, uh, siloed economically. I mean, racial segregation. I mean, you can look at all the things that you see here and we need to get far beyond that. And we need to accept that you know we are where we are because not we don't lack talent. We have everything going for us here. Sometimes it's just connecting some of the basic fundamental dots. And so going to Columbus was a great learning experience. And there were people in this region that really did not want to go or were worried about that because uh, change is threatening. But Columbus is very successful. They have Ohio State right near downtown, and, and they have uh, a lot going for them. They're the nation's capital. But they do some very interesting things. And, and we have the Boston Consulting Group, which has been working with us uh, over the last several months. We are learning a lot, and I, I do believe we are getting better at trying to break down these silos. You know, politically, I think there has been this these city-county dynamics for a long time. Whoever the mayor is or county executive, and I've been in that position, there's always these inherent tensions that are there. And a lot of it comes down to politics. And I think we have to take a step back to much more in terms of public service. The school district and the city in poverty is not just the mayor's responsibility or city residents, it's everyone's. And, and a strong city means a strong region. So I think there has to be much more collaboration, much more reaching across the lines and not worrying about political posturing, but worry about how do we become better public servants. And so we're on a path right now that I, I feel is a, a good one. What I worry about is uh, we have certain philanthropists here, you know, the Rob Sands, the Danny Wegmans, the Dutch Summers, many others. What I worry about is as they age out and move on, there is not a deep bench of philanthropy uh, here and people that really have the, the means as well as the desire to do some of those things. And we need to develop that. We need to look for ways, even from a policy perspective, not to chase away the wealthy from this region. Uh, whenever I hear tax to millionaires, you know, one thing about millionaires, and I'm not a millionaire, one thing that they can do is pick up and leave and go someplace else and go to Florida, go to South Carolina and take their wealth with them. I think we need to incentivize them to stay, but as maybe reduce some of their expenses, encourage them to give back. And I look at what Tom Galisano and a Wegmans family and a Sands family and so many others have, have given here. Uh, and you can't duplicate that. So I, I think that's one thing we have to realize. We want to keep those people and those families here and growing. And sometimes we chase them out economically because if they can move a few states away and save several million dollars for their families and family uh, money, uh, they can do that. And I think those are some interesting policy uh, decisions going forward that we need to look at. And I've championed this for the last few years. I think for New York State, the governor's done a great job investing in upstate. Nobody has done it like he has. But we need different policies for upstate than downstate. We really do. And, and look at those things that might not play well in New York City, but play very well up here. 
to encourage more growth, to encourage more job growth and, and economic uh, prosperity. And, you know, I, we have lost some population, but it's a beautiful area. We have so much going for us. We just have to take a step back and look from a policy perspective, what can we do differently? And maybe going back to, I think you're kind of touching on that, having a stronger regional brand. We don't have that. We're known for Kodak outside uh, the state and outside the country. We have many different brands, many different competing messages, but not one unifying brand, which I think you'll see this region begin to work a little more diligently on going forward to to really promote what we have here and, and draw much more attention and hopefully more people and more investment here. Great. Well, I, yeah, I think that that leads into what I was hoping to get to next is is talking a little bit because I know that you mentioned the the Boston Consulting Group work that's been going on in terms of how to how to you know create more more collaboration and I know that the chamber has been tasked with uh, kind of that that talent strategy for for the region based on you know what what the report came through. Um, and, and, you know, one of the things we're trying to do with our Conscious Capitalism Conference is to really say, you know, at the company level, uh, these organizations that have a more, a more conscious capitalism ethos, they have better attraction and retention of employees, and, and it impacts the bottom line in a positive way. And what if we were able to create that as a, as a regional differentiator or, you know, part of that regional brand to say we have companies that really care about their employees, care about their culture, give back to the community, and, and really make that a way to hopefully not only attract and retain, you know, all, that, all the talent that, that graduates from, from Rochester, you know, local schools, um, but hopefully it maybe even start to attract companies from outside, which which I think you're starting to see more and more. Um, so what do you think, what, what would it look like? How, how, how could we start to convince more organizations to move in that conscious direction to, to try to create that as kind of a differentiator for our region? Great question. Um, one of the things that we need to do is find ways to keep talent here. And it's really interesting coming out of the Boston Consulting Group study there is no organized effort to nurture relationships with 19 colleges and universities and their students in our region. Uh, we just started last year, and Don Braveman, a president of Nazareth College, made a suggestion. So we had a kind of a small event last fall. But one of the things that we'll be doing is not only trying to make connections with businesses, with uh, our, our young talent, uh, but also looking for ways to create this uh, sense of home for people that may come from Long Island, New York City, other parts of the state, come here for college and don't just leave afterwards. I, I learned last week at a SUNY board meeting, 78% of SUNY graduates are working in New York State two years after graduation, which I think is great. Uh, I, I think we look at RIT and U of R, uh, probably about half that number, maybe or less. So trying to create an environment where people realize if they stayed here, they can get a quality job, work for a company that they really would embrace and really espouses their values, have much lower cost of living, lower rents, uh, hopefully much lower debt coming out of school. Um, we're affordable. We could, you know, we're not marred in traffic. You could be anywhere in 20 minutes here. There's so many good things going for us. I don't think we promote ourselves the way we should. And I do think how do we keep young talent here is getting companies to talk about the th- and really practice the things we're talking about right now. Um, you know, Wegmans, great example. Uh, the state is banning plastic bags. Wegmans would have liked a little longer to have it implemented, but they took advantage of uh, this situation. They're going without plastic sooner, uh, and they're you know they're going to take advantage of it and move ahead. And 
they are, I think, very environmentally conscious, very aware of sustainability, uh, great family, great leadership. But people want to work for Wegmans. And we have so many small, medium and large companies here. We have some great technology companies that give back all the time. Uh, we need to nurture and grow that. And those that don't, and I would tell you this, Amazon, I'll say this, uh, I, we were involved with the Amazon HQ2 competition. We knew we wouldn't get it, obviously. I'm disappointed Amazon left New York City because that's still twenty-five or 30,000 jobs. It would benefit the state and all of us at some point. But, you know, Amazon, as wealthy as they are, I just don't see the, the social responsibility aspect yet, which tells me one thing. They will make a lot of money. I do not think they'll be successful in the long run. I don't. I think at some point somebody else will take them over. And maybe somebody who has the same type of spirit of innovation and change but much more connected to people. You know, I, I bought some Bombas socks. You know, why? Because I have them because they donate so much back to people. I just think, you know, I want to support people like that. And and companies that give back, companies that uh, provide help uh, to, you know, people in need, people in poverty, jobs, or whatever, any type of really positive social activity or interaction, I want to support. Um, I, I've been around companies. I have a home on Cuca Lake. There's a, an ice cream store called Seneca Farms out there. They had floods several years ago. I was with the state. I credit the governor. Did an extraordinary job getting funding to those people. It was devastating for several weeks, the damage. But this one ice cream store opened up free food for all the workers, the volunteers, people that were displaced. And I will always uh, go out there and I don't eat a lot of ice cream. I shouldn't, uh, but I will always patronize them because people that do good things, I want to support them. I want to, you know, that's what, to me, that's the more we do and promote companies like that. I think the more they will grow economically, the more good things they can do. And, you know, again, I go back to, I think you and your dad have done a great job leading by example. And I just see a sea change coming right now. And, and Rochester, keep in mind, we're the home and uh, we're, uh, the birth, not the birthplace, but the arresting place of Susan B. Anthony and Frederick Douglass. There is something different about this place. There is a just a spirit of service here. Uh, it's a, a community that has always been different, uh, has always stood up for things. I think the the issue of social justice is so important, and you know we can be so much better. And I think that there are just so many good things going on now. We should be a beacon across the state and across this country. I just don't think we have really galvanized everything yet, but I think we're on a path to do that now. Yeah, no, it's it's exciting. I, I think that, as you're mentioning, part of it is how can we be more conscious consumers? You know, how do we patronize those companies that do give back or, you know, Bombas that every pair of socks that you buy, they give a pair away to, to homeless folks. And so, you know, any of those kind of organizations, I think more and more, uh, younger people are are really demanding that, and they're they're being more conscious about where they're spending their dollars, and and with social media and the internet and everything, there's more transparency too, where people are seeing whether or not these companies really practice what they preach and and live that ethos, and so. Um, I guess I, I totally agree with you in terms of that long-term ROI to a more conscious way of doing business. Uh, but what do you see or maybe what do you hear from members or just business leaders in general? Because I know that you're, you're all over. Um, why do you think more businesses don't adopt more of a conscious capitalism approach? Change is difficult. And sometimes people are so busy keeping their heads above water in business. They're working, you know, customers, customers may come and go. Uh, they worry every year is a new adventure for some businesses. They might not always have the time or the thought process. Some may just be about making a profit. I mean, I, I can't 
read their minds or their hearts, but I think there's a number of reasons why. But when you look at those who are giving back and the success that they have, because I think it, it does create this culture. You want to support people like that. You know, Wegmans, number one supermarket in the country. If you were to quantify what Bob Wegman, who's passed away in 06, Danny, Colleen, the Wegmans family, what they have given to children, to education, to so many different charities over the years, millions and millions and millions of dollars to help others. You know, I, I always want to support Wegmans. They're about health, they're about sustainability, about giving back, right down to small companies who do little, I mean, there's small companies that reach out, hire uh, people from the neighborhood. I know the brewery right now is doing a lot of things, trying to open up job opportunities. Uh, very socially responsible in, in many ways, but it's great business. I mean, it really is. And, and you look at this next generation of leaders coming up, if you are not giving back, if you are not really accepting and, and really embracing this uh, way of trying to you know, create business success, but doing good things to help your community, you're not going to be successful. Like I said, you know, I can't say I don't use Amazon, um, but I have to tell you, I respect their business success. I do not respect uh, their lack of corporate social responsibility because they should be giving back much more than they give. And um, I've never met Jeff Bezos. I'm sure he's a great CEO and, and he's had great success. But, you know, it's not just about the money and it is about, you know, giving back. And, you know, you look at George Eastman, I have George Eastman's uh, biography and my uh, nightstand at home. Look what he has done, you know, going back to his time here, what he did for his employees. He created a bank so they could buy homes, dental dispensary, healthcare, recreation, music, arts, culture, you name it, all the things he tried to take care of his, the people um, in his company. And was it a perfect company? No company is perfect, but... Uh, you know, how many CEOs have had that philosophy? Because he, you know, a happy, healthy workforce is a successful workforce. Uh, people that uh, you have turnover every day, week, and month, you're not going to be successful because it's hard to get talent. And I, I would say it's not about money as much. People want to make a good living and, and survive, but people want to like what they do and feel good about what they do. And I think that's the part that's it's also a big part of success for, for companies. And, you know, uh, I'm proud of our chamber team. We had a day of caring last week, and we try and give time for public service whenever we can. But we had probably half our employees come out and uh, raking, weeding, having some fun. Uh, but it's team building. Uh, I'm a big fan of United Way, and so we support them, but we support a good cause. And, you know, we have read in schools. We have gone, people have gone to Food Link and volunteered. Uh, we encourage employees, if you have a charity or something you're passionate about, if you want to go, great. If you want to get us involved, let us know. I mean, and we'll try and do it. And there's, we have some great employees who pick some things that they want to support. But that keeps, I think, things going. Adrian Hale, I mentioned before, he's had clothing drives for schools. Um, other people have had food drives. Uh, and I, just, I love that spirit. And, we, and we're a very small company. We're only like 42 employees. But, you know, you see that in a much wider perspective of some of the bigger companies. So I think it's leading by example, but also quantifying the success of these companies that try and do good things and, and tracking their, you know, em, employees, the, the DNC best workplaces was there this year. We're a sponsor for that, but I love hearing the stories and people, and it's not put on. You can't put it on. My first year in a chamber, I had somebody, one of the leaders come to me and say, we should apply for best workplaces. I said, no way. Uh, we're going to do that. We're not ready for that. And a person that suggested that was probably one of the biggest negative impactors in our culture at that <laughs> time. Uh, but maybe in the future, yes. But, you know, I think that should be not a decision that Bob Duffy makes. I don't, I always say, 
I don't want to look good. I want, we want to be good. And so if, if that decision is made by people, maybe on the front lines, when they, they think it's right, they should be the ones leading it, not somebody, it's not a, a publicity stunt. I think that the DNC has done a very good job nurturing this because I love hearing stories. And I, I love seeing people that love going to work. And, and you can just feel that the spirit sometimes in a room that's not put on, it's not phony. And that tells me that's a healthy, good company. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I do appreciate uh, the way that you lead by example at the chamber and, and encourage business leaders to, you know, move in the in the more conscious direction. And and yeah, whether with the DNC or, you know, it's what we try to do with conscious capitalism or even with this podcast is the more you can share, I think, the positive stories of, of the companies that are practicing a more conscious version of capitalism, uh, you know, it, it shows that it, there is an ROI to it. There, It hopefully encourages more companies to, to move in that direction. So kind of on the flip side of, you know, looking at the the barriers to, to that evolution. I'm, I'm curious if there's anything from your perspective, you know, you certainly have a, a, a pretty conscious mindset as a leader. Is there anything that you can point to in your own uh, growth and evolution over, over your career that has, you know, helped move you in that direction, whether experiences or mentors or books or anything like that? And I can get into stories. Uh, you know, I uh, was raised by a mother who was a orphan at an early age she was a Catholic nun for 13 years, had really no uh, direct family. Uh, met my father after World War II. She left the convent. And about a year after she left the convent, my father got out of World War II. They met. And through uh, an aunt, my father's sister, who was a nun with my mother, never knew that growing up. But the way I was raised, and I can tell you, uh, my mother, if you understand how nuns operate, how they think, I was raised by a nun. Um, you never uttered a slur. Uh, you respected people's religions, ethnicity. Uh, I never heard a bad word about anybody in my house. If you did, you tasted soap. And so, you know, I have two older brothers. I just, you know, very regimentedly, we worked, we helped each other. It was always about loyalty uh, and your know, family and taking care of your family, trying to help others, church every Sunday, you name it, that whole, that is a great upbringing. I look at playing sports in high school and college and the lessons I learned from teammates and coaches uh, about, you know, being a team player. Uh, my police career, I did not, you know, I, I wanted to, my, my goal was to teach and coach basketball. I got kind of diverted uh, when I went to the, uh, the police department. I, that was an extraordinary experience. I, mean, I grew up in a city. I had, you know, I, I won't call myself a total street kid, but I certainly spent enough time growing up on the streets of the city and, and, uh, Going into that profession, I learned so much about human behavior, uh, about how people struggle, about some of the struggles they have that maybe a flat tire uh, is devastating for a family, uh, maybe a traffic ticket. And I would say that I've stopped people, you know, I was a police officer. I thought, I'm not going to add to this person's misery. Mm. Uh, just take care of that headlight, take care of this, don't drive through stop signs, go home and don't me catch you again doing that. But I thought to give somebody a ticket in those circumstances where they couldn't afford to pay or had their car towed or whatever, they can't support their families. And so it gave you a, a perspective in many ways for as much bad press as some police officers and, and departments get. I could tell you a overwhelming majority of men and women out there do such a great job that they're not, you know, it's not pulling guns out and chasing people. So much of what you do is helping people. It's it's really helping people much less fortunate, but it, it teaches you so much. A, to be grateful for what you have. B, to be proud of what you see. As I mentioned earlier, I could, there's no neighbor in this city I would be hesitant to walk on right now or walk into, uh, but having spent so much time there, the incredible gifts and integrity and giving of people that have so little. When you have 
so much more. You look at somebody that has nothing. And I've been to churches on Sundays and in our, our neighborhoods throughout the city. You see people putting their last dollar in the basket, giving food to somebody they did not have, helping somebody, sharing what little they did have. You realize how good people are, the innate goodness. And I, you know, I, I was never one that walked away in any way uh, with a negative view of society. When cops, sometimes they come up thinking how everything's bad. I was just the opposite. I mean, I, I in many ways, embraced the goodness that I saw. And I saw a lot of bad stuff. I mean, I did. But it helped me. And then I mentioned you know, the time in, in City Hall and, and public service, either this job, you get exposed to see so much. And I think we should be inspired. We should help. And you know, I, there's an old saying, I, I've used this before. People always say about, I want to leave, uh, you know, lend a helping hand and help somebody up. And, you know, I, I didn't make this up. I, I probably heard it many, many years ago, but I just, it, it really hit me and I embraced it. We don't need to uh, reach down and, and pull somebody up. We need to take the barriers off their back and they'll get up by themselves. And I think that's, you know, when you think about the barriers that people have, and they do, they have so many things facing them today. I just have a, you know, such a deep sense for some of the things people go through uh, and what they face. It could be family, economic challenges, uh, but they are good people. They're hardworking people and sometimes just need a chance. Uh, and like I said before, maybe it's transportation to a job. Uh, maybe, you know, nowadays it's, people say, well, it's hard to get people to work. Well, maybe they've not been trained or helped along the way. They don't know what's expected of them. But I, I think that, you know, my careers have given me a great perspective on that. And I have great hope for where, you know, this city and country are going. I mean, no, we're not perfect. Uh, and it's not political leaders that lead the way. It's the person in the neighborhood. It's the person helping. It's, uh, you know, someone at the ground level. That's who the change agents are. It's not elected officials. Elected officials are there to hopefully not, you know, impede progress to help lead. Uh, but the true change comes from your everyday person. And, and we have to keep encouraging that. And I think the more we can elevate leaders and bring them up, the better. And, you know, you're a classic example of a future leader here. I'm proud of Shannon Ely and her CLIMB program, trying to help young leaders coming up. And I've been to enough classes of, of CLIMB and, and meetings, so encouraged by what I see. Uh, and this city, uh, this community, this state, I think we are in really good hands in the future. We just need to make sure we don't slow down to progress. Well, thanks so much for that. Actually, you, you preempted one of my, my last two questions because I wanted to touch a little bit on, based on your, your experience, thinking a little bit about the future leaders of Rochester. Maybe, maybe they admire you know, the path that you've, uh, that you've taken or, or they're resonating with some of the things that you're mentioning. And, and I've certainly uh, been, been honored to be a, a part of, of running the, the leadership programming for the CLIMB program. And you, and you mentioned Shannon and everything that she's put together for CLIMB in terms of building those future leaders of, of Rochester we hope. Uh, but other than, other than joining CLIMB, which I would certainly endorse uh, and certainly recommend, what, what advice would you give to those, those future up-and-coming or aspiring leaders of Rochester uh, you know, as they maybe try to take the mantle of leadership for the future of the city? I'd say get involved. Uh, volunteer, get involved. Some may want to run for political office. I, I believe you have more power outside of politics than you do inside because I think people have great power. They just don't want to use it sometimes. Uh, elected officials are there to serve their constituencies. But I think we tend to allow things to happen. Our schools should not never be uh, have allowed to go on this long without change. Uh, and it's maybe it's school board, maybe it's uh, neighborhood uh, organizations, food link. Get involved with things that matter. Nurture relationships. Uh, you know, people that want to run for office or have a, a, maybe proclivities in that area, 
Um, you need to understand the problems and get out. You need to establish relationships and get out with, with people. I never wanted to run for politics, but my police career gave me an incredible ability to go out and have friendships, relationships with people and learn things for 29 years or almost 20 and a half years that I never would have had before. You know, if I came out of school and decided I want to go a direction, I mean, it just gave me a depth of understanding that I never would have had before. So it is volunteering, it's getting involved, holding people accountable. Um, you know, having, you know, a sense of what you want to do for change, like Rock City Coalition and other groups, they're, they're great because you have young leaders coming together as a great social aspect to create friendships, but, you know, pick things that you can help change and, and don't pick 20 things, pick three, pick one. I, I always think in threes, pick the top three things. You can't, if you have 20 priorities, you have none. If you have one to three, you'll, you'll accomplish those. And there are so many opportunities to do that. Support elected officials that also uh, mirror what your beliefs are. Don't uh, get beyond a rhetoric. I hear some speeches, I want to die because they're empty. Uh, you could tell when somebody speaks, if they believe in what they're saying and have passion, you can tell. Uh, you can spot a phony or a phony political speech a mile away. You don't have to read notes to say what you believe. You should be able to get up there and, and articulate what you believe and what your priorities are. Uh, and I think people have to not just vote for the same people over and over again, but to vote. Uh, school board elections get about 9% turnout. You know, for our kids, there should be 90% turnout. And I'll tell you what, if there's 90% turnout, we wouldn't have the problems we have today. Um, and I also think reaching across lines, uh, city problems are not a city problem. It's everybody's problem. And I, I think the suburbs and the connectivities in this region are so important to connect. People want to help. They want to get involved. Try and find a path for them to get involved. Uh, you know, I, I was involved many years ago in uh, Bear, Mayor Johnson's biracial partnership program. I grew up around a lot of diversity. I don't think I ever needed tutelage on that. Uh, but they paired everybody up with somebody who did not look like them in this program. It was a phenomenal success. My partner, I, we still get together socially and, and get together. And I've learned a lot from him. We actually grew up in very similar circumstances, but you know, he grew up in Gary, Indiana. I grew up here. Um, but it's, it's getting people together. And we realize our differences are pretty small. Uh, and, you know, you can't do things on your own. You have to I mean, create these partnerships, these groups. And I think it's being done now with some of these organizations. But get, get involved somehow. And, and don't say or walk away saying, oh, this is the way it's going to be no matter what. We can affect change today. If, you know, bring people together uh, and believe you me, the next election, the next big forum, whatever it may be, if people all showed up and expressed themselves, uh, that's how you shape things. Uh, keep in mind, people in politics aren't there to uh, hopefully to serve their own purposes. They are there to listen to what people want. And that's why you ask people. And if people want to go in one direction, Elected officials want to go in another. My sense is they won't be there a second term. And I would encourage people, to, if they want to get in office, it, it, run. Don't just jump in. It's, it's much different than you think. Learn first. Maybe it's volunteering on a campaign. Maybe it's volunteering for somebody. Understand the process. Learn the process. If you jump in too early, and sometimes in that world, if you lose right off the bat, it kind of negates what you want to accomplish. But learn and, and understand and understand the process. And sometimes it's volunteering for a commission or a group, you know, it could be a planning committee, something just, but getting involved and understanding how things work. Government has a way it works, not always perfect, but there's a, a method to its madness. Understand how that works, change what has to change. But, you know, if you understand how it works, you can impact the system and letters and email and they work. 
the written word is powerful, and I think I respond to every single letter I've ever gotten. Uh, I would call back people. I would write back. It is it's a written record. Uh, stopping somebody in a hallway and saying something doesn't really carry much weight. They get a letter. Uh, you know, hey, mayor, governor, uh, uh, councilor, and, and all of a sudden, you're put on notice for a problem. And I'll just uh, close on this question by this. One of my biggest fears when I was especially a police chief, that somebody would stop me and say, hey, there's a drug house here uh, or there's a problem here. If I didn't follow through, my biggest horror nightmare was somebody would die in that house. And if I dropped the ball and did nothing, and believe you me, uh, became uh, just an absolute nut for follow-throughs. And I think that you know, making sure we follow through do something. Uh, and if you do that consistently, you're going to be successful. And I think that's part of, you can't fix every ill in the world, but you can try and you can try and, and maybe fix a little bit of it at a time. Little by little, we get there. And people don't expect miracles. They expect follow-up customer service and attention to what they bring up. If they pay taxes and they're part, uh, they live in a neighborhood, a city, a county, whatever, um, you know, when you're elected, you serve them. So I think that's just a, something I would encourage young people to think about because they can and they will change the world. Thanks so much, Bob. That, that's really, I mean, reviving citizenship and civic responsibility, I think, is it's kind of a passion of mine. And, and I, can, I can definitely vouch for your authenticity in that. I know that, uh, like me, you're, you're a big fan of, of written, written thank yep. you notes yep. and, and all those sorts of things. And I think those, those little touches and those little relationship builders mean a lot. So I just want to close on this one final question as we, you know, Think back, you know, it's somehow been almost almost five years that you've been uh, in your role at the chamber. And so maybe as you look to the next five years and imagine what, you know, success looks like, what are some of the things that you're dreaming about? How do you see the cult, the, the culture or the, you know, the chamber itself kind of evolving? What, what would you love to accomplish in the next five years? I think, uh, first of all, uh, the chamber's role is to support its members, support businesses, help them be successful, uh, also to have an impact on a community. Economic development and community development are linked. Uh, you can't do one without the other. So trying to make those two connections and, and trying to do th uh, push things in that direction. And maybe it's leading by example. Maybe it's nudging people. Maybe it's highlighting successes, but trying to, to really engage people to look for growing jobs, growing their business. Uh, another passion is getting people to support local and regional businesses. Um, I'm, you know, we have breweries and wineries and stores and bakeries and, and all these businesses here, you know, men and women and families who put their, their life savings into a small business, support them, uh, buy, you know, go, show up, pay. I hate, I, I never accept gifts. People say, I take, I, you know, listen, you can't stay in business unless I pay for it. So, I mean, I want to give people things. You, you want to uh, support them. But, you know, go to the public market, uh, support uh, our farmers, our venters, you know, small business, large. I mean, the box stores, they'll, they'll survive on their own. But these small businesses, these neighborhood shops, uh, you know, support them. I think the chamber can take even a much greater role creating this much more hometown esprit de corps uh, that we support our businesses. And, and I, I remember being uh, kind of lectured by uh, people when I was mayor why certain festivals have national brands and not local brands, and that's true. Uh, why aren't we out supporting people when we fly into Rochester or we show up and, at, at events? Why do we see more national brands than local? 
And I'm going to give Governor Cuomo credit because this whole New York, uh, Taste New York program, trying to bring people together uh, that, you know, the growers and producers here. So I think part of the chamber role is supporting local business, advocating for them. And I think the big part is helping this next generation of leaders get in position. I think there's nothing would, would do my heart good than to help position people uh, to make change uh, in areas. And it can be in business and government, not for profit, get the right people in the right place. I've been blessed to be able to give recommendations for some people in this community and for key positions. I would ask my opinion. And, and, I, and a couple of those examples, they're in those positions. I don't want to give them names out here, uh, but they are great leaders. And I just was so impressed by what they do. And, and people that asked me did not know them before. So I felt very good that I could say, hey, check out this person. This is what I've seen he or she do. And we have extraordinary leaders coming up right now. They need to be given an opportunity, given a chance to, to grow and a chance to be part of this, this change. And a chamber's role is just that. You know, we're not just showing up for membership. We're a membership organization, but I believe if we don't produce, if we can't give you back an ROI tenfold, then we shouldn't be in business. So we should look for ways, how do we do that? And, you know, that's part of the future. And I think that the most exciting thing is what is the future chamber of commerce? I'm not sure what that is yet. It's going to be very different today or five years, 10 years down the road than it is today. It's going to look different. It's going to be different. It's going to do different things. Uh, it's not going to be anything like it was before. And that's exciting. And for us, it's getting the right people into positions to help us see the future and help us you know, forge that path. Well, Bob, uh, I've certainly got fired up uh, in this conversation, so I really appreciate your time. Uh, more importantly, I appreciate everything that you do each and every day, uh, both you know to elevate the future leaders through through programs like Climb or through giving seats on the board of the chamber to uh, to young professionals, um, and also just the way that you're encouraging and leading by example to bring a more conscious capitalism ethos to, to the Rochester business community. So thanks for everything that you do. Well, Andrew, it's an honor to be here on your podcast, and I want to thank again, thank you for all you've done, your father, you are a great team. Uh, I think as conscious capitalism takes off here, and it is, uh, you deserve great credit for all the nurturing you've done over the years. And I've seen it, I've witnessed that. And you are, and really you and your dad, the Brady family, really is one of the key leaders on this concept. And what may have been conceptual a few years ago, I think is is not only taking hold, it's, it's flying. And I think you've been you know, really great advocates for that. And I look forward to the conference coming up. And I look forward to the even greater progress in the future of what you're doing. So thank you for what you're doing. It's a great public service and for all the things you do to nurture young leaders. Well, we'll do it together. I appreciate your time. Thanks again, Bob. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Wicked Squid Studios, Rochester, New York's premier podcast development team. The Wicked Squid family brings ideas to life through the art of audio production. From custom jingles and creative services to studio memberships and educational curriculum, their outfit strives to empower all members of society to build a more equal and colorful world. Learn more about their operation at wickedsquidstudios.com.